Hello and welcome to the Boney Island Whitefish episode number eight. I'm Andrew and I'm here with Riley. Good morning, Hello. Riley. Is there some toast happening? Is that what's going on? No, I just I just lost the race <laughs> against the theme song to finish <laughs> my delicious lox bagel. Oh well, that sounds very nice. Oh, it, it is super nice. There is a, uh, a near where I live in London. Uh, there is a street called Brick Lane, and on Brick Lane there are many many sort of awful tourist tat things because it was one of the first places in like East London to become a place where people would go on purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was like, oh, the the vintage shops of Brick Lane, the sort of bars of bustling Brick Lane. It's called Bustling Brick Lane on estate agents' websites. Anyway, I live about a 15-minute walk from there. And um, there's there are two bagel shops right beside one another because the area was like... It was a primarily like Hujano area in like 500 years ago. Then it was like a primarily Jewish area. And then it was a primarily uh, Bangladeshi area. Again, now it's a primarily tourist trap area. I don't know. Um, with like a lot of filing cabinets for young professionals. But, um, excuse me. Uh, two, there are two bagel shops right next to one another, both called like Brick Lane Bagel Bake. That's spelled the way that like, <laughs> The British spell bagel, which is B-E-I-G-E-L. Wait, anyway. wait, 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 wait. Wait, whoa. Yeah, what's up? That's that's how the British spell bagel? Yeah. I did not know this. Yeah. Um, and anyway, there are two bri- there are two bagel shops, and it's widely known that well, the one on the right is the good one, and the one on the left is the bad one. Um, so how does the one on the left stay open? I don't know. Who's going going to the Brick Lane Bagel Shop not having Googled it where the first, like, every single recommendation is, make sure you go to the one on the right. Who's going to the one on the left? I'm, I'm guessing people have just looked at the address and they got there and they went, oh, uh, eeny, meeny, miny, miny. <laughs> They've flipped a coin. You know? Yeah. All right. Mm. I'm pretty sure this one's the good one. And then you... You go in and, you know, you just get slapped around by the staff. You don't even get a bagel. Like, well, I don't see. (laughs) There's got to be people who think that, um, that like maybe they're both run by the same people and it doesn't matter which one you go into. And they're wrong. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, No, I, 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 um, yeah, so I, I I live so close to there and I just get, I get these delicious bagels uh, on a semi-regular basis because I'm trying not to eat bagels every morning because now that I'm 30, I'm trying to watch my uh, intake. Yeah, you got to watch out for that. Things yeah. like bagels every day will sneak up on you. No, I remember in my, my wild and crazy youth, I could have bagels and lox for multiple meals a day. Like the, 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 <laughs> a schmear of cream cheese that is sort of like so large it rivals the size of the bagel itself. Every day was New York. Uh, but then, you know, now it's, you know, what is it? It's salad, I guess. No good. No, it doesn't. Well, you don't have to have a breakfast salad. <laughs> if well, that's I mean. <laughs> a yeah. large garden salad for breakfast, please. <laughs> you know what else I do for breakfast? My other weird breakfast habit. Uh, dinner leftovers. If there's like some, some pasta or whatever, oh, yeah. I'll have that. Oh. And uh, my girlfriend looks at me like I'm diseased. What's, what's, I don't get what's, what's wrong with that. It's got to be eaten. You know? yeah. the that's sooner what I the say. Yeah, that's what I say. In fact, I think a night, an, an overnight trip in a metal bowl 
uh, with some like cling film over top of it, does any tomato sauce dish quite a bit of good. That's true. Gives it a bit of time to steep, you know. Exactly. Really soak in there. Marinade in its own juices. Uh, which is, interestingly, uh, how a Detective Bones found today's body. Yes. <laughs> that, well, I mean, we could make all kinds of cooking metaphors for this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been dry roasted. It's been... Hmm. Yeah. You we'll, could say, we'll you, could say you could say it has been flash fried in um, the oil, cooking oil of... The writers Googling something on the internet, desperate to find something they could base their show on. <laughs> yeah, and this <laughs> this leads me to this week's episode of Bones, uh, episode eight of season five, The Foot in the Foreclosure. This episode brings us a Bones count of 16, relatively low mm-hmm. on the season-long Bones counts. Uh, we're not getting into the heady highs of the mid-20s like we have had. It's a relatively low amount of times people say bones in the show bones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're probably going to have a higher bones count in this episode, I think. Oh, yeah. I think we can beat them. <laughs> and then we'll aspire to every week <laughs> just to make sure. <laughs> and then we're the bones. So, um, so w- this is a thing that we have commented on by now consistently with this show is that somebody has thought to themselves when they were writing the intro of an episode a weird thing they could find what's a weird thing they could find where they'd all go i thought this sort of thing doesn't happen but i guess it does on the show bones <laughs> and then the crystal method and then you know what maybe it's, it's this listening to the crystal method makes you reasonable <laughs> could be that's what it is it's like they get some crazy idea and they all sit down they listen to the crystal method and they're like okay that was wild. Let's do some real police work now. Everyone knows leprechauns don't exist. So what's the real theory here? You know, what's what, the mu- real theory? A mummy came back. A mummy maybe come back to life and killed everyone. Crystal method. Whoa, 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 whoa. That was crazy. Let's figure out what really happened here, guys. Huh? This is this is this is Bones Patrol, not Stories Patrol. Now, I feel like there are multiple points here at which this is the laziest episode of them all so far uh, for me it was club jiggles <laughs> that, was the that, that was that was right up there um but but there are there are multiple points which i think i'll try and point out as we go where we have kind of um we've identified i think signature points in the arc of a standard plot of an episode of season five of bones mm-hmm um, is it is it the arc of season four or season six? I could not, and more importantly, will not tell you. We will not tell you. We don't know. We don't want to know. Um, but I'll I'll try and point those out, those out as we go because I think that this this is some of the laziest stuff. This is some of the just most complete abandon of the idea that you got to kind of keep the episode together. You know. And I think so, I think also we can. There, there are some broader conclusions to draw from this, right? It's not just about the show Bones. I think it's about cultural production in the 2010s as well. That was mm. just like, it was you just, they had such contempt for the audience. It was just like, hey, you'll watch this, you piece of shit. <laughs> when, well, it'd be great to, it'd be great to chart stuff like this against when the sort of um, rise of things like streaming services, your Netflixes and such mm. was happening. Well, it's, because it's I wonder if right? this is kind Go of back. the 
this is kind of the pride before the fall of network television. You know, this yeah, is the, I, we've got it all. We're sitting pretty. Yeah, we don't. We don't need to give you anything. Don't call us. We'll call you. Here's another episode of Bones. Maybe there's I don't know a lamp monster. I mean, this this is a thing that is like massively magnified in the Australian. Uh, like the Australian domestic media market. <laughs> the Australian version of Bones. The Australian version of Bones. Bones. Um. <laughs> oh, Crocky, there's a fucking skeleton. Oh, it's Bono. How you doing? <laughs> yeah, we're, 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 the, we're Bono, the singer from U2, hangs up his cowboy hat and moves to Australia to work as a, simp, as a simple down-country forensic investigator. That's right. Oh, boy. <laughs> Um, So, you're the Australian domestic media market. Very, very, very small. Um, Very, very incestuous. Very, I guess, uh, you know, there's there's kind of a rough parallel to the UK in that there is like, uh, you know, we have the ABC, roughly analogous to the BBC. Mm -hmm. um, And there are also, you know, sort of uh, networks of... TV stations, newspapers and stuff. The majority of them owned by Rupert Murdoch. And those those were the dominant forces in our media landscape for years and years. Um, newspapers particularly were entirely funded off of um, classified, uh, classified ads, you know. Really? Listings for used cars, real estate and such. Those, those were just gold mines to the newspaper industry. And it seems like for probably decades people were going huh there's all these other things that are starting to appear that people can use you know streaming services and um like craigslist uh all kinds of other places you can put your ad for your apartment and they went yeah but they don't have those here so it's fine Uh, and (laughs) And i assume they never will that's right and so, basically, all of those warnings were ignored for a very, very long time. And pretty much the only, the only sort of media um, that made any efforts to, to get ahead of the curve on things like streaming services were the ABC and the SBS, which is another um, government-funded broadcaster. Yeah, and they're both run by Captain Getup, so... That's right. Yeah. Wearing his sweet, sweet cape. I haven't heard anything from him in a while. Uh, it's like there are two there are several things about Australia that I just I learned from I learned from watching you that I learned from Punta Vista that I just I for some reason have stuck in my brain and they are as listeners of the show have commented Captain Getup and the Ozmocker as the yes. two wolves who live inside Australia even though both of them are um conservative weirdos putting on like disguises um what what but, is it sorry go ahead Oh, but the, but they're also both like wonderful reflections of how incredibly provincial our domestic media market can be. <laughs> yeah, it's just I mean, because like the the British media market is so like you're right. It's similar because we do have like the BBC and stuff. Like there is this state owned broadcaster, which when you think about Canada as well, when you think about like most European countries, like actually it, it's the U.S. with no state owned broadcaster is kind of the exception. Um, mm. Because Canada has the CBC and CTV, um, but regardless, uh, it's it's that like the, the UK media market is it was incredibly provincial, and then in the in the nineteen nineties got incredibly um, 
got this like the cool Britannia kind of infected everyone's brain, and so London. Basically, thank the, you, Spice Girls. Yeah. <laughs> so, as a result of the Spice Girls and Oasis, uh, and then like, I don't know Tony Blair wearing a Union Jack bikini, uh, we basically got <laughs> this phrase "punching above our weight" per- oh, yeah. seared into the the brains of every single person involved in media or diplomacy or anything. And so Britain now has like like little dog syndrome where we truly believe that we are globally important because, I don't know, a bunch of like uh, American tiaboos, so like a weeaboo for Britain, uh, all like put on fake accents and go to Doctor Who conventions. And it's, it's, it's right a little bit that like for some, I think it's the accents really, there is like a bit of cultural above weight punching. Uh, in in Britain, in some just with some of the most, just some of the most dog shit cultural production as well. But I don't know. Fuck it, I moved here. Um, I, is... I gotta say, Doctor Who just looks like shit, doesn't it? Yeah, no, it's, it looks so bad. It, it, it is. It again. It is for Tiaboos. It is for Americans who like got a. I don't know. Uh, a, a connection at Heathrow once and then we were like oh picked up a sport of an accent in Terminal B um, Terminal B there is no Terminal B Terminal 2 oh no yeah anyway um, yeah it's just it is it is a a wild place but also has this domestic media market that is just is so again low rent and quite like corrupt and insular it's just garbage like the, the, I was the, I was stunned when I went to um, England, when I went to London, and I said the first thing everybody says when they get there, yuck. And then, um, then I looked around. <laughs> but like the, the, the thing that I was really there, yuck because it smells terrible. The British PU. Oh, look, I I gotta say, it did not leave the best impression on me as yeah. a place. Um, I, I was I was forced to kind of say because a lot of people in Australia will will go and like live there for a chunk of their twenties, like live and work there, stuff like that. Um, you know, a lot of people make jokes about how like every pub has an Australian working in it and all that kind of thing. And it's like, kind of true. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I don't get it. I went there and I was like, yeah, but why though? I, why? I- I mean, I think it's because people from people who fee, are from countries that where the entirety of them can feel kind of provincial. Um, I think Canada and Australia, I think, are both like this. Yeah, yeah. I think that there is a bit of a thrill that this is the metropole that we can live in most easily. Yeah, there's there's definitely that aspect of I think it's it's relatively easy to or or it was in the past relatively easy to like get a visa to mm-hmm. move there. Obviously, the um, becoming acclimatized culturally very very easy by comparison to most other places if you are from here or from Canada. Um, but 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 like the point I was going to make was that um, when I was there, I was really struck by the media like like looking at you know newspapers and like watching tv in the hotel room and just being like the the media is just this entire writhing incestuous pool of just talking about other people within british media Mm -hmm. and they're all people i've never heard of like (laughs) like it makes me think of um it makes me think of like that kind of 
very C-grade celebrity page three girl Mm. kind of, um, hey, I'm tipping off the paparazzi that I'm going to be down at the beach frolicking in the surf so they can take pictures of me kind of sad desperation for for vague alignment with fame yeah Um, britain is a country where every we are unable to process media except in an individualized way everything is and and, who's that one person sleeping with or whatever (laughs) yeah well i mean it goes down to our politics as well right like this is why it's impossible to take the process of politics seriously because this is a country that is deeply, deeply cynical. Um, and why, like, I think the, the attempt by sort of the, the left to take politics seriously as something that is important rather than a game to be played between elites who are just a different kind of celebrity uh, was met with such confusion and scorn and derision because the idea is, well, no, this isn't for that. Like, like polit- politics is for... You know, who's got a scandal, who's going to have to make a public apology, who, who asked a good question in PMQs, um, who's got this skeleton in their closet or whatever, who's being unseemly. And it is, it is essentially you become like a guest on the Big Brother house. And to take things seriously is to refuse to play by the rules of the game. And the uh, sort of immune system of this country just attacks you until it does away with you. Huh. Yeah. This is a... It's it's still my home, and I still, you know, I feel more at home here than than in Canada, and I still have no intention of leaving, at least not in the long term. I might go live somewhere else for a couple of years. Um, My girlfriend and I think we might sort of, you know, go over to the continent, which is a little bit especially France, which is just a little bit like more nice for a while. But this is a lot more understanding about blackface. (laughs) No, like this is why like this. I think this country is just a fundamentally unwell place. I don't know if you got that impression. Oh, look, there's a bad case of that going around. (laughs) That's I'm I'm not pointing any fingers. (laughs) I'm not pointing any fingers. And I and I still think that as 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 unwell as Britain is, um, as unwell as the United Kingdom is in grappling with its own identity and its own history and all that kind of thing, l- yeah, there's a lot of that going around. There's <laughs> there's a bad case of that in Australia, um, with uh, and in America with just. I, th- I think really these Western countries built on colonialism that are being asked to kind of look at themselves and say, hey, do you think maybe, maybe the internalized racism that we all keep talking about, maybe the systemic racism that keeps coming up could be anything to do with the entire origin of, of this country? Uh, and everybody says, no, I don't want to talk about it. I want to watch TV. And that's when we turn to Bones. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's been almost 20 minutes. And we haven't really talked about Bones yet. That's right. So, so I, um, I love the idea that there are Bones purists who are listening to this being like, when will we talk about Bones? Get to Bones. I want to know what happened and I won't watch it. <laughs> well, um, so let's, let's consider if we will. Let's consider if we will that, um, that it wasn't until the very late 2000s, possibly even past that, 
um, that Netflix began doing like s- streaming stuff, started doing video on demand, streaming kinds of things. Um, so, you know, well, well past the point when this season of Bones was going and people were sitting around looking at network TV and saying, this is what they're shuffling to me. Oh, okay. Here's what I can tell you. Um, Netflix introduced streaming services in 2007. Mm-hmm. And then Netflix produced its first show, House of Cards, in 2013. Huh. There you go. And I'm betting that it uh, wasn't anything like it. It was is now at the very beginning. Uh, in terms no. of amount no, of no. content and ease of use and all that kind of thing. It was like all the all so, the sort of you know, made for TV shit was on streaming. Beautiful. And this was made for TV. So in this episode of Bones. We are going to get some of the most uh, the most lazily thrown together and rushed stuff of all. So we begin in an open house, which is being sold, according to the sign out the front, by the House People Realty. <laughs> That's just again, if you want an understanding of how lazy the writing is in this episode of season five of Bones, there was like think of a think of a name for a real estate agent. Ah, House People, move on. We are the house people. We sell houses. Uh, Real estate agent is showing a couple through the house. One of them says, what is that smell? And she says, there's no smell. Don't worry. Mm -hmm. Uh, She takes him into the bedroom. The D plot is basically this real estate agent needs a win. (laughs) She desperately needs a goddamn sale. Uh, There's 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 a like an undiscovered Glengarry Glen Ross type plot happening in the backdrop of this episode. I would be so much more interested in a, 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 a show about a real estate agent who keeps showing murder houses. <laughs> oh, no. Well, it could be a comedy if she tries to, you know, keep the closet door closed while people come through. Don't look in there. Spraying, like, ostentatiously spraying air freshener everywhere while like, people I'll walking just say, in. Oh, no, that's a load-bearing corpse. That... <laughs> That must be another murder house you're thinking of. Oh, I have this titled as Bones Yet, because it's a foreclosure sale. I have Bones mm-hmm. Yet Again Tackles. You can hear the leading capitals here. The economic mess. Yes, the big economic mess that we have heard referred to several times now. Thanks, Obama. Uh-huh. So she takes him into the master bedroom and there is a uh, great big pile of moldy looking ash and a foot on the bed. Oh, no. And the couple's like, Yuck. And the agent's like, damn it, I thought I was in for another sale. <laughs> oh, oh, fava beans. Like, she's not even like, um, the agent is not even like, holy shit, a human foot. She's just like, ah, shucks. Oh, gee, I mean, no, this clearly, the writers had a bone to pick with estate agents, I guess, because she is portrayed as scum. Yes. And also, that's she, accurate, yeah, in my it, view. <laughs> And also, interestingly, uh, she was in Suits. She was Donna in Suits. Oh, there you go. So, she did better after this, is what I'm trying to say. She finally made that sale. Well, uh, now, that's all we get in the way of setup. Uh Big pile of shit on the bed with a foot sticking out. Um, Real estate agent goes, no. (laughs) And then we immediately cut to the diner, one of the only two... Canon locations to eat in Bones. <laughs> That's right. 
you get, there's the casual restaurant and then there's the fancy restaurant. Oh, also right. just FYI, uh, I put, I have, I have written, I will show you my notes, putting <laughs> my marker down here that they tease spontaneous human combustion before playing the crystal method and then abandoning the theory. Yes, they absolutely do. <laughs> um, so Booth is explaining, this is the terrible B plot here. Booth is explaining that uh, his granddad lives in a nursing home. Uh, but he's come to stay with him for a bit because he punched a male nurse who wouldn't let him smoke a cigar in his room. Uh, Granddad's here. He sucks. He's calling Booth shrimp. They're doing a cool special hand ca- handshake. He's cracking wise. Oh, yeah. Uh, the, the, I would like to point out so- at this point. Go ahead, go ahead. Oh, that the actor playing Booth's grandfather, Pops, um, is the same actor who plays Frank in the 1992 movie Cliffhanger. And people will know him from the much pilloried scene at the start of the movie where Sylvester Stallone drops uh, a girl from a billion miles up in the sky. Mm-hmm. Um, and this guy is just in the background grinning like the devil himself. Yeah, because he knows he's just given, he's just taken possession of a charming pair of boys, one of whom is FBI agent Seely Booth. That's right. He's just thinking about how much fun he's going to have making them grilled cheeses later. Yeah. So, uh, Booth gets called and he's like immediately, fuck off, granddad, I'm out of here. Yeah. I got to go to the crime scene. And then, they uh, go to the house, which is now- What I find interesting now- as well, just quickly, is the relationship between Pops and Sweets, where uh, Pops uh, says to Sweets, where'd you get your look so young? Where'd you get your MD? In a Cracker Jack box? And then everybody laughs at the best joke that's ever been written in Bones. <laughs> but he's like, <laughs> fuck you, Sweets. <laughs> you young piece of shit. <laughs> it's just young looking. <laughs> no, this looks like a big baby with false teeth in, doesn't it? I think it? he's 24 in this. I think he's like a super genius and it's just that's that's addressed in like a previous season. Oh, okay. Not that I'd know. No, of course. I not know anything about him. So, so they go to the crime scene, which is at a house, which according to the sign out the front is being sold by Fogelsong Realty. Uh, c- continuity? Nope. No, nope. thank you. Or maybe we are we are not willing to keep that going for two scenes. <laughs> so, what what, have we, what was it called? The house people ah make up a new one. Who gives a shit? They're not going to notice, and even if they notice, what else are they going to watch? A streaming service? <laughs> as far as I know, those are only just getting off the ground. <laughs> they don't have any original content. They just have, it's just another channel by which they can watch us. They have nothing. They have nothing. They're snookered. We don't have to put in any effort. Change the name of the real estate agent every single scene. What are they going to do? <laughs> Complain? Well, maybe, uh, maybe you know, the murder house lady is getting fired from one realtor because she can't make a sale. And then she starts up at another place and she's like, don't worry, I've got some leads. <laughs> got some got- very cold leads. <laughs> Look, the house may have a murder in it, but I, I, just, I feel that one day there's going to be a, another kind of streaming service called Quibi that's going to have a house called Murder House Flip, and then this is going to actually be worth more because it had a murder in it, so it can be on the show and that it could sell having been on the show. But I'm going to have to wait many years for this. I'm going to need some kind of stipend until then. So uh, the realtor, the bitch, the bitch of a real estate agent and the owner are there. Um... 
and we we have a bit of a look and say, hey, this person in the bed uh, burned into ash overnight. Nothing else was burned. And I've written in all capitals, spontaneous combustion, question mark, question mark, question mark. <laughs> yes. There, there is a still whole uh, skin covered human foot there, but there is also a hand, a claw like uh, mm-hmm. claw like monkey's paw hand, but like in ash mm-hmm. on the bed. Um, That's right. As people start to walk around the room, it uh, it starts to fall apart. And Bones is like, no, 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 no. I'll need a spray adhesive to stabilize this hand. Yeah. Get some hairspray from that stupid fucking realtor. She's <laughs> got thing, big hair. She'll good, have some. Good thing this realtor is a piece of shit who would have big hair, unlike me, Bones. That's right. Not, Fuck not this me. realtor. <laughs> Unpretentious Bones. <laughs> I, I'm pretentious in a different way. So they do get the hairspray from her. They they spray it on there so she can stabilize the hand because she's like, hey, it looks like it has a wound on it. And that's mm. going to be very important in the funniest reveal of the whole episode. <laughs> so uh, I, I have here, uh, Bones begins taking evidence from a crumbling hand made of ash using hairspray in a way that will absolutely not get thrown out immediately in court. No, Your Honor, I sprayed hairspray all over the evidence because otherwise the ash hand would have fallen apart. Have I drawn a bunch of conclusions from some specific indentations in this ash hand that's falling apart that I, I don't know, affixed with some hairspray? Yes, I'm being arrested for contempt of court. Like, oh, you you don't like it? Maybe you should solve a crime yourself, Your Honor. (laughs) Which is the contempt that the writers of Bones have for the audience Bones has for the judge. (laughs) <laughs> oh you don't like it why don't you just try another case you know? yeah, what are you gonna what are you gonna do i'm the only police in washington dc apparently that's right okay by the way uh we posed a question in an earlier episode how are crimes referred to the bones police and not the normal police yep. still no criteria we got nothing no don't know how <laughs> they were made aware of this especially when there doesn't seem to be any um doesn't seem to be any division between like whether it's a murder or whether somebody just died, whether like it was suspicious or not, whether yeah. it's just a body that they found, anything like that. Just yeah, call just, the Bones Squad. Yeah, call not call nine one Bones. <laughs> so um, now Booth can ask the question that we're all thinking: mm-hmm. spontaneous combustion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh. Andrew's dying. Call Australian Bones. Oh, pardon me. Oh, seems like this seems like this guy had a cold. You can tell by looking at the bones. It's a cold case. (laughs) Shut up. So he says, "Hey, spontaneous combustion," and our boat says, "No such thing." And he's like, "Hey, come on, look, look at the bed. Uh, Electrical currents in your body. They start sparking, and before you know it." Whoosh, he says. Yeah. Uh, and then, she's like, bullshit. And he goes, well, then explain to me what happened with this crime scene you only just saw. And she goes, and then. Bones. It's going to take me the length of this song to figure out why the ridiculous thing you said is impossible. Just rubbing it in her face. 
So back at the lab, we have taken the entire gigantic grody bed with us. It looks like mm -hmm. a big moldy sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> Did you just watch this hungry? I was pretty hungry when I watched yeah. it. Um, also, for some I, reason, everybody there is very interested in Booth's granddad and what's going on with that. Oh, yeah. It's take, by the way, if the last episode was take your chef to work day, this is take your dad to work day. Yes, um, it's true. Yeah. If you know the police, apparently you can just do their job for a little bit and that's fine. Well, didn't he used to be a cop? Yeah, he, he used to be an MP uh, and that's... He sort of brings it up quite a bit because, you know, Booth quite often lovingly is like, no, dad, you're you're old. And so you should be in old people jail. And he's like, ah, when I was an MP, we beat up drunks and uh, I, I did chased a bit of skirt in my day. And he's like, I just don't understand these old people. But also, I want to note that this is a record breaker for disproving the wild theory of the before theme song after the theme song in terms of time. Yes, very much. Um, I just want to point out. That it is Booth's granddad. Yes. It's his grandfather, not his father. I spent the first bit of the episode writing Booth's dad in my notes. Uh-huh. Before going, oh, it is his, his granddad because they're all talking about granddads. Mm -hmm. It's just that the actor playing David Boreanaz is only like 25 years older than him. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. This, so is, like, this is not a grandfather age unless Booth is supposed to be like, yeah, 25. And he's not. He's definitely not. Um, <clears throat> so, they uh, they decide that there is a defensive wound in the ashy hand, and it looks like a nose. And that's weird. No one's ever been murdered by a nose, you know? Except yeah, for this so... damn coronavirus. You know <laughs> Am I saying? right? Uh, we've decided that it's a lady because women be wearing shoes. Uh, Clark, Clark Edison, <laughs> intern Clark Edison, who we last saw in the episode where he was sent out to the railroad tracks to gather some evidence and he uh, strongly inferred that this made him feel like a slave. Mm -hmm. um, and he says, based on the markers, I would say we're looking at a female. The victim had Haglund's deformity. Yep, uh, Which classic. is a, a bony enlargement on the heel caused by wearing ill-fitting high-heeled shoes yes drag her clock <laughs> drag that dead body oh no so they have a, a single foot and a nose-shaped wound in a hand made out of packed together ash yep time to accuse some people of murder time to just wander around accusing people of murder um yeah so i it's yeah the the the, the victim was uh that has the Haglund's deformity, has like wounds consistent in their thing with being obese. And also they found like cake and hot sauce beside the crime scene, which is important. Yes. Unfortunately. Um, big pile of cake. Yeah. And also it seems like one of the main plots of this, because anytime Clark is asked about the C plot seems to be um, that Clark is learning how to be unprofessional like, and talk about his personal life at work. Well, if you want to work at the Jefferson Smithsonian Institute for Sexual Harassment, you got to work with the team. <laughs> yeah, you got to, you know, they have to be your best friend. So you also talk to about everything in your life. And, and so, you have to be willing, you have to be willing to sexually harass and to be sexually harassed. Yeah. If you want to work here. <laughs> it's basically uh, club jiggles, but emotionally. 
You don't have to sexually harass everyone to work here, but it helps. You know? <laughs> That's right. So, um, Booth gets a call. It's his granddad. He's at the park. Uh, he's been nabbed by a cop because he's wandering around all confused yeah. and he needs help. The crime of being old. That's right. Yeah. Uh, take him before a death panel immediately. <laughs> In Obama's America. Yeah, there's, so I, there, is a, there is a subtext that Booth is trying to protect his grandfather from an Obama death panel. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, as he's on the way out to pick up Granddad, um, the real estate agent, that bitch, shows up, gives him a piece of paper and says, here's a list of some of the people who had access to the house. Mm -hmm. I'm a little confused by this aspect of the case because they seem to be suggesting that when you are showing a house to someone, you just give them the keys and say, mm -hmm. bye. Yeah, I, I, I fully do not, like, I do not understand the nuts and bolts of this plot of this episode of the show Bones. I don't understand how that happened. I, I, I don't think that's true. I think that real estate agents mostly go into the house with you. At the beginning of the show, they're shown going into the house together. Uh, I feel like, again, the writers were like, oh, wait a minute. There's a massive inconsistency that makes the plot of our murder show not work. You're like, fuck it and fuck you. You're fired for asking questions. What if we just don't address that at any point? <laughs> um, so, Booth is like, only some of the people? Implying that it's a lot of people. Uh, she's like, hey, I was showing a house. The market, it's horrible. I haven't made the a The economic so mess. It's the damn economic mess of 2009 all over again so um it's time to go back to the lab for some computer magic angela says mm -hmm. i'm making a 3d rendering which is essentially a virtual mold yeah. um using what appears to be a laser disc player Yeah, again, they're just, just like, oh, a, uh, shoot some lasers at this ash hand. Making a virtual mold of this hand. Uh, and then we need a bit of bit of a bonesism here because she's... Uh, number one, Angela has to be horny. Booth must be pretty cute with his grandfather, huh? Seeing, seeing a, a man with a young boy makes I, me horny. Seeing a man with an old man makes me horny. I'm Angela, and I work here at the <laughs> Institute for Sexual Harassment. What the... <laughs> what the fuck this is just like what doesn't turn her on yeah it would be great to get a read on what what's a safe topic uh, so yeah this is not this is not an actual person this is what the like octogenarian you know just decrepit writers of bones want younger women to be like hmm she's fun she wants to fuck everybody Especially so, um, at work. It's almost, it's almost like they wrote Angela to like an attractive female colleague to try and be like, come on, attractive female colleagues tend to want to fuck everyone they work with. They do be like that. Yep. It's, it, well, it's one of the qualities they look for when hiring at this particular workplace. At this particular Medico Criminal Institute for Sexual Harassment, yes. Simone so says uh, his grandfather calls him shrimp. Booth seems to like it, which I do not understand, being a robot. Mm -hmm. And Angela says, uh, it's because it makes him feel loved, like when he actually was a shrimp. And Bone <laughs> says, so, 
the moniker is a sign of affection. Mm-hmm. She, I'm, really, we, we alluded to this in a previous episode, but it makes a lot more sense if you think of this conversation taking place between um, teenage John Connor and, and the, the T-800. Yeah, also, it, it makes a, it also you have to remember, like, in the crime scene, Bones was, uh, again, sort of taking social cues by, like, looking at the real estate agent and being like, you, you look like a fucking idiot. I bet you have hairspray. And then hmm. in this scene is just like, what is a nickname? Yeah, just, that's right. Just, just completely lazy writing. And you can, t- the reason, what makes writing lazy is when the writers sort of know where they need to get to make the story over and and to make the story both a long enough and b over like i'm sure if they could (laughs) they would just be like a five minute webisode where they were like who did it this guy guilty um but they you know they can't has to stretch to like 43 minutes and so yeah they 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 could just they, they flex bones's ability to read social cues up and down based on what they need to do to get the scene get through the scene that's the right length and, and lazy writing is just about just molding your characters to whatever you need in order to get out before traffic. Yeah, and as we've said repeatedly about this, um, it's particularly problematic when Bones is played to be like a she's played to be like a Sheldon from the Big Bang Theory type, um, perfect genius, but somebody who is so so smart that um you know it ruins her ability to do social things because they just repeatedly cast that to the side whenever it's convenient uh so time for a bit of science hodgins comes in and says uh the orange glob of goo that was on the side of the bed because there was a little orange glob of goo uh he says it's polyester that would be the perfect wick now, they did earlier in the episode uh, explain the only... They, ex- they explained the real version of spontaneous human combustion, which is uh, somebody, like, falling asleep with a cigarette or something like that, lighting their clothes on fire, and then if they're a big fat person, then all of the fat catches on fire uh, and burns inwards, and that's why not- nothing else catches fire, mm-hmm. basically. Uh, the-, the Wick theory, the John Wick theorem yeah the the pajamas act like john wick gotcha yeah um so he says uh it's the perfect wick she had to have been wearing it when she was lit now this here's what i call science now that's what i call science Mm -hmm. angela says i think i know this color which is what we all say when we're looking at a burnt glob of polyester yeah she's like uh yeah she's just like ah because Angela has uh, the same thing. Whatever she knows or do, uh, can is able to do just flexes with the plot. Yeah. Um, she says, I think I know this color. The computer can match the exact shade of color for us. And then she actually points her magic iPad at it. Mm-hmm. And you can see like a red barcode type scanner run over it. It's the same one that scanned the uh, the hand. It's the same scanner. It's the same app even. It's just the... Uh, what, what's going on here app and then it tells you what's going on like this hand was impacted by a nose or um this uh, this color is a special uh, vest color god damn and so uh she scans it and she says this is the palatone color wheel 
which uh, I guess they were trying to avoid some kind of copyright infringement for Pantone. Uh, yeah, because Palatone isn't a thing that exists. No. Since when a corporation wants to standardize their logo, they have Palatone create a color for them. This particular shade of origin, orange is known as Priceco Blossom Orange. This is the color of the vests the employees wear. How very lucky that there was a glob of one color that matched yeah. only one other shade of orange in the world that a corporation owns. Yeah, uh, how lucky also that she was like, I don't know, carrying a copy of her employment contract <laughs> with her, yeah. but it was burned up with her essentially. How how lucky that um, the Priceco Blossom Orange shade of orange stays the same when the polyester vest that it's been rendered on uh, is melted by fire. And I don't know about you, but I always wear that when I'm having sex. Yeah. I like to wear uh, my work leads, uniform. <laughs> this leads Hodgins to say, the victim worked at Priceco, which is not a declaration that you can actually make at this point. No. No. Uh, uh, no you could say... Hey, if you're if, if you're working at the Jeffersonian uh, Medical Criminal Institute for Sexual Harassment and gigantic leaps of logic, you absolutely can. You can say the victim was the Secretary General of the UN. That's right. Done. Uh, so now we are in the car on the way to Priceco. Uh, Pops is in the car because he's been picked up from the park where he was wandering around or whatever. Take your dad um, to work day. Take your dad. Take your granddad to work day. Yeah, that's it. And granddad. Uh, He's pretty horny all through the episode. Oh, yeah. His um, main thing is that he's basically uh, Johnny Knoxville in, um, in Bad Grandpa. <laughs> um, so, so he's going to be living with Booth. And he, he says to Booth, uh, don't worry. If you ever need a little privacy with the bone doctor, I'll make myself scarce. And yeah, uh, he's like, what? There's nothing going on between us. Causing granddad to say, are you gay? Cool. Boots like what? So good. My own granddad is calling me gay for not fucking my boss. <laughs> oh, terrible 2009 stuff here. Yeah. Uh, so they go and they get this lady's employment file from Priceco as a whole bunch of comedy ensues. Um, Granddad's oh, yeah. showing people around the store. He's bad grandpiring it up and down. Yeah, Great everyone stuff. thinks he's a greeter and he like learns all the layout of the store. And again, it's like it's just, it's kind of weird to do cutesy comedy in a murder show. Like, I don't think mm. that murder like dark comedy can't go together, but where your comedy is just like we're gonna have an old person being cute. It's like it's it's so jars. Steph Grandpa Simpson in this episode. Yeah, and effectively, yes, he has the char- he has less character depth than Abe Simpson doing a sight gag. So, back in the lab, we now have a photo of the victim, uh, and they're all speculating on the size of this woman. They're like, "Hey, she's a size four tops." Doesn't sound like a real size. Mm. Uh, Bone says she must have recently lost a significant amount of weight. Uh, her doctor confirmed that she had been treated for both of the microfractures we found on the foot and the Haglund's deformity. Uh, but on her last visit, she weighed 234 pounds. This causes Clark to comedically say, baby had back. 
And I um, like that he, he uses the, the past tense for this mm. dead woman that they're looking at. And also, this, uh, this is, uh, unfortunately, foreshadowing. Um, yes. Also. Much. So, Clark says, it's definitely Meg Tracy, the victim's foot. But if she was thin now, why? Why so much ash in the bed? And Bone says, it's because there was someone else in bed with Meg. Two people died in that fire. She says, without any evidence to this other than there is a lot of ash. Mm-hmm. This causes Cam to say, so now we're looking at a double murder. Uh, they yep, didn't even know that it was two people for sure, let alone a murder. When did we decide <laughs> it was a murder? You, you know, because someone had a nose wound in their hand. Duh. They thought they thought it was one person in a bed. <gasps> oh, I know what it was. It was the chicken man. <laughs> He's still on the loose. <laughs> this was a prequel. Oh no. I just I just don't know like before this point so so they've said that there was like the the nose-shaped indentation on the ash hand which they have just decided is a defensive wound. Mm-hmm. Therefore it's a murder, I guess. Yep. That's it. Um and there's more ash than there would be for one thin person. Therefore two people died. Therefore it is a double murder. Uh, I Love think it. we I think we might have earned ourselves the sting. That is that is very true. And what sting is that? It's the, the wild assumption sting. There it is. I didn't know if that was a rhetorical question. Didn't know if that was a rhetorical question or if that was just loading. <laughs> I was buying myself a little time while I found my <laughs> okay, big button. Uh, um, wild speculation indeed mm-hmm. But hey, you know how it goes in Bones You pick a thing and then you just stick with it <laughs> Yeah, that's right um, And also I like that uh, After they conclude that, right There's more Bones Booth and Booth Granddad When Booth Dad is like Ah, they didn't have all these medicines 50 years ago And then Bones is like ah, According to my research, medical science is better than it used to be You would have been leached in the 1930s uh, And he's like, ah, I suppose you're right Um <laughs> She's pretty smart. The, the, the thing I want to get <laughs> she to She knows well, about medicine. <laughs> the thing I want to get to as well is like, you're like, oh yeah, he's raised by his grandfather. But it, this, it struck me. I wrote this down. When Booth like walks away, I don't know, to go take a shit or whatever. And then Bones, and he says to Bones. <laughs> he, says, Booth, he says, hey Bones, I got to go take a shit. <laughs> and Booth dad says to Bones, I love that kid. I love him more than anything in the world. I never had the nerve to tell him that it was my fault. But that but when I saw my son hitting Seely, beating that little kid, that was it. I said, get out. You don't deserve to be a father. And he never came back. So I was left with the two boys. Then Bones just says, you're a, you were a good man, Hank. And then that's all. There we go. It's just, that's it. It's never addressed. It's never dealt with or developed in any way. It's never addressed in the rest of the episode. It's just, oh, by the way, this tragedy that befell Booth to make him an interesting character, um, I was involved in it in a way that makes me an unimpeachably good person. And That's right. That there's just, this is just this emotional outpouring followed by complete understanding. I, I'm, I'm reminded above, I mean... You know, uh, 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 Felix of Chapo Trap House uh, has his This Is Sus series talking about more modern TV dramas. And he talks about how the American network drama creates a world without friction. There's no, there's nothing difficult. Everyone is, all, all conflict is, is down to misunderstanding. 
all people are these perfectly smooth, tragic figures. And this feels to me kind of like a, 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 a prototype of that form of storytelling where yeah, yeah, it's, definitely, just, yeah. it's just, it's just people who are tragic and tragic in its sort of heroic ways who are infinitely understanding and for whom consequences aren't, and for who, and who only suffer consequences to elevate the story. There is nothing rough. No one sneezes. No, and there is a perfect. This this really culminates in a perfect example of that, which we will get to. But I will note before we move on from this uh, section that as part of this pulling bones to the side and saying, "Hey, lady that I just met today," um, here's the dark secret. Of why your partner's father went away and never came back. It was me. I did it. I have a much closer relationship to him than you do. So, when the time is right, you will tell him of his father. Like, why the fuck is she telling him? You're here. You can tell him. Why? Like, I I could not make heads or tails of this character saying, oh, I could never bring myself to tell him. Because uh, it's so emotionally fraught. And that's why I am entrusting you, a person I just met, to tell my grandson why I made his own father go away. And make sure that you give him a hug if he's sad. Mm-hmm. Very perplexing to me. Yeah, so, just, where, where all of these tragedies exist to elevate and move together, Booth and Bones. It's again, it's yes. a hallmark of la- it's a hallmark of just incredibly lazy writing where you have contempt for your audience, where you just write these characters who drift in and out, who sort of wake up to support these other two and then go back to sleep forever. Now, this does happen a lot. Um, we are back at Booth's office now where they're interviewing the victim's roommate, Stephanie. Um. And she tells them that, you know, they were, they were weight loss buddies. They were both trying to lose weight. And she's like, we had competitions. I was the loser this year and had to pay for her trip to Hawaii. Obviously, I lost the competition. Look at me. It's just a normal looking woman. Mm-hmm. They are really playing it up like she's Gwyneth Paltrow in the fat suit in Shallow Hell. Mm-hmm. Um, just pretty, pretty much a normal looking woman to me. Um we, we established in an earlier scene that the person in the bed with her, if, if she had lost 100 pounds based off her weight, that this would be a big fat person who was in bed with her. And Booth says, uh, well, we're still working on the cause of death. She was with a man. Do you know who she was dating? And uh, Stephanie says, no one special. I would have known about it. She used to meet different guys at Club Jiggle. I stood up at this point from my chair and I said, <laughs> No. <laughs> no <laughs> uh, oh and booth says as we all did at home club jiggle <laughs> no we all said that except me who said no no <laughs> no i sprayed my tv with like a little spritzer but <laughs> bad uh, bad tv <laughs> Stephanie says the club jiggles for thin people who uh, appreciate the bigger ladies. She says, I went myself a couple of times, but it was too freaky. These skinny guys saying they wanted to fondle my cankles and eat brisket out of my navel. Then that was the end of the Boney Island Whitefish. <laughs> <laughs> 
and Booth's like, "What? That's crazy." Well, so this says. is this is the, this is the other thing that make is is a hallmark of lazy writing that everything the writers can imagine is within driving distance of DC. You know, like this <laughs> this club, this imaginary phantasmagoria of like fat of like you know fat like fat fetishism, which is just there happens to be like a big mainstream one in DC. What luck. Yes, it's across it's across the street from the FBI's main headquarters. <laughs> you know, down in Murder Town, where all the places that are involved in murders are. Well, yeah, and they they go to this place, and it's like it's jumping with bones know, at, with Booth Dad. They take the dad, and it's yeah. jumping like on at four p.m. on a Thursday afternoon or whatever. It, yeah, and I'll, I'll just say, it's hard enough to just like keep a cafe running, you know. Mm-hmm. They're able to keep some kind how. of like fat fetish nightclub running at 4 p.m. on a Thursday. Yeah, they must have like great social media manager or something. Well, and also then the inside is just a bunch of fat women in sparkly dresses and then a bunch of what looks like guys who work at the office block next to the studio where, B- where Bones is filmed. Now, we are all set for some amazing science here as we go back to the lab where Clark explains that once... Um, Oh, before Bones. we go back to the lab, though, Booth, yeah. Bones, Booth Dad is there being like, oh, these are more women for having fun with. Um, well, we haven't, we haven't oh, actually we haven't? been there yet. Oh, I'm, the sorry, episode, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. It's, I'm, it's, we're getting I'm, ahead of ourselves. I'm jumping ahead of ourselves to Club Jiggle. Because uh, Granddaddy Horny. Um, so, so we are at the lab. Um, we're looking at the, the bits, tiny bits of bone fragments that they've found in, in the ashes. And this, this is some beautiful, beautiful science to me. I love this shit. Angela says, Based on the figures that Clark gave me, I was able to partially reconstruct a male fibula. And Clark says, The amount of bone shrinkage from heat exposure was about 20%. And Hodgson says, That allows you to calculate height. That's brilliant. So, she's, she's got a partial reconstruction of one bone in a leg. And they've said, well, it would have shrunk by 20% due to the heat. They've then expanded the, this part of a bone by 20% and then just extrapolated an entire human body around it and said, that's how tall this guy would have been. Yep. They, 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 it's like they extrapolate like where he went to college, like from a partial <laughs> fibula. Oh, yeah, I can definitely see the feeding fetish gene floating around <laughs> in that bone. Yeah, you um, can tell he had a boner. But they also know that he weighed approximately 260 pounds. Um, to the pound. To the pound. And which makes Angela then shrink <laughs> shrink the, the model on the screen down to being like a short fat guy. With one button. <laughs> Very funny. It was just the, but- so, the button on her magic iPad of make fat. That's right. Short, short so they- and make fat. One button. Beep. So they've decided that he's 5'5", 260 pounds. Um, we are now back at Sweets' office to have fetishes explained to us. Mm-hmm. Sweets says, Meg may have been participating in a feeder and eater fetish. Mm-hmm. That's um, right. Uh, and that's the only thing that can explain it, so it must be true. <laughs> that's right. Bone says, fetishes are common in all sexually repressed societies like ours. Telling on herself a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Sweet says, feeders and eaters are a subcategory of fat fetishism that involves an obese person or an eater and a feeder that derives sexual pleasure out of gaining and fondling of body fat. Is that it? 
that's a Wikipedia ass definition. It really this is. is this is just the thing of like I have this written down. Like this is where you can just know the writer has had like one idea, and we're just like, well, this is the script. Well, that's, yeah. this, this is going to be the script, and we won't be stopped from making our like show about fat murder, and it's going to be based on a feeder and eater fetish. Shall we think about this more? No. Um, Booth then chimes in with uh, a nice bit of recurrent fat phobia that runs through this whole episode. He says, that would explain the uh, cake next to the bed, which I'm probably never going to want to eat again. Yeah, uh, but then Bones jumps in with, but your dad said you loved cake. Which is what you, yeah, that's what I would say in that situation. He used to love cake until he found out that fat people like it. (laughs) (laughs) Ew, fat people like cake? No way. Like what the fuck? It's again. It's the thing of shall I rewrite this line? Doesn't really make sense. I mean, fat people. I assume would probably like all kinds of different food. Why would like Booth be put off just knowing that fat people like it? Uh, no, don't rewrite the line. If you rewrite the line, you're fired. No rewrites. One take. One take writing crew. That's why they called me Um, one take Hanson. Heart. One take Hanson. So, so they, they do a 3D rendering of this hand with the defensive wound in it. Mm-hmm. Um, Angela fills in the injury and makes a virtual mold of the injured area. And they all say, it's the shape of a nose. It's the chicken. Angela man. says, killed by a nose? That'd be a first. <laughs> I'll see if I can match any possible weapons. Maybe something old. And then, like, her computer screen starts flipping through, like, morning stars and... <laughs> You know, when you get a defensive wound by blocking a morning star with your hand. <laughs> the thing that happens. Uh, so while this is all happening, they can't get old old pops to take his pills. So they decide to take him to the fetish club instead. There we go. Sorry, I jumped ahead. Um, Bones on the way there does make the observation that being overweight wasn't always stigmatized. During mm-hmm. the Middle Ages in Italy, the wealthy and influential members of society were called Popolo Grasso, meaning literally fat people. Thank you, Bones, for Shut memorizing up. something from an encyclopedia. Shut up, Bones. Shut, Shut up, Bones. It's I, time I, I'm to trying to, club I'm jiggle. trying to enjoy this, fa- this family dinner in peace. Why have you sat me next to the nephew that I definitely was when I was that age? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we are now at the legendary Club Jiggle. People queuing around the block to get into Club Jiggle, that kind of club that totally exists. So, Baby Got Back is playing on the stereo. I'm assuming that this is the only song that anybody on the writing staff can think of when it comes to, like, having a big ass or anything like that. Mm -hmm. I'm also assuming that in the in-universe world that Baby Got Back just plays on a loop for, like, eight hours straight in Club Jiggle. Well, yeah, because, you know, clubs only play music that thematically it should be, it should be there, you know, yeah. um, that's why, that's why, that's why as soon as you go to, uh, as soon as you walk into Bergheim, you know, you hear, uh, someone just, you just hear a German voice saying sex, gay sex, yeah. sex, and all kinds of sex. Like it. Yeah, exactly. It's just, it's just, it's a song that tells you about what's going on in the club. And that's all there is because, you know, everyone, because it's because the entire world is just heavy handed storytelling. Now, Grandad is very horny here in the Mm -hmm. club. Um, Booth goes over to harass the bartender by Mm -hmm. asking her. Did you murder? (laughs) 
Did you murder her? Did you kill her? Um, well, what I what I like from this exchange, he asks he asks her about Meg, and she's like, "Yeah, she used to come in here a lot. And then she got thin, didn't come in so much. Blah 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 blah." Um, and she's like, "Hey, is Meg all right?" And Booth's like, "She's dead." <laughs> it just did you do it? it to her fucking horribly? It's like she's dead. Is is that all right to you? Do you think she's all right? Have you been freaked out? Did I freak you out? Yeah, he's like, maybe you care now. And it's like, she was already being helpful. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Why are you treating her like that? So she manages to do a, a very good impression of an extra on Law and Order. Um, she remembers that the guy had a goatee and glasses and his name was Hugo. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's the kind of thing I would remember if I was a bartender at, you know, club fat fetish. Uh, again, yeah. real kind of thing that totally exists. So she had the uh, that good that good law and order thing of not remembering anything about the person initially, and then over the course of a thirty second conversation, saying, "Now that you mention it, I do remember." <laughs> now that you mention it, I do remember his social insurance number. Yeah. So uh, they decide to let uh, Granddad hang out for a little bit longer, feel up on some ladies, which is mm-hmm. pretty cool when you think about it. Yep. Yep. Then we head back to the FBI. The realtor and the owner are there asking for a signature from, from Booth on something, begging for a delay on foreclosure. Please, I need this sale. Please. Old Gil. Old Gil <laughs> needs this. It would only, the, the, the extent to which the uh, realtor is asking for a delay on foreclosure only makes sense if you assume that the realtor and the guy are banging. Yeah, this this to me is like the single red herring, or maybe the uh, the one of the two red herrings of the episode, because uh-huh. um, Booth is looking at these two like they are quite sus. Uh-huh. Um, he's he like you said, everybody's very down on the real estate agent, um, but she does say, "Oh yeah, I remember a fat guy called Hugo. Um, he looked at the house multiple times. I assume when I gave him the keys a month ago and left him to his own devices." <laughs> Um, The owner casually mentions that he was a carpenter for like 20-something years. Mm -hmm. And this is what he has to show for it. Just his dead wife and his house that he's having trouble selling. Mm -hmm. That's right. So, we go back to the lab. Uh, Intern Clark Edison gets some minor character development when he Mm -hmm. says, I loved my granddad. Yep, that's character development. That's character development in a world where everything is just sort of slips off one another. That's right. Uh, so, in the burn mattress, they find a gastric banding ring. Mm. And they find uh, now. They don't find that earlier. No, they never find it earlier, do they? No. It's like they. It's like they look for something until they find a clue and then everyone downs tools. <laughs> and well, it's like... waste valuable investigation time now that we have this clue. Yeah, they're like, see if you can solve the crime with that. And then when they go and accuse someone of murder and it turns out it's not them, they come back and say, we need a second clue. (laughs) And then they start looking till they find something like this, a slim ring, as they call it. And then they're like, cool, we can all go on break again. Just sit out the back on like some wooden crates and smoke cigarettes until (laughs) Booth and Bones come back, you know? That's right. So, uh... <clears throat> that actually makes the most sense as far as the plots of these shows go because they get one lead and they go and investigate it and until that lead hits a dead end. And it's yep. at that exact moment that someone back at the lab goes, oh, I just decided to look again. 
<laughs> found a so, new um, lead. Will this lead relate to anything about the pu- subsequent leads? No. It will no. not. It will fill time. It's not what we do around here. <laughs> um, so this is a, a surgical means of losing weight. Um, that's how she lost 100 pounds in such a short amount of time. Uh, and Booth is like, huh, so much for willpower. Fuck you, you Booth. dead lady. <laughs> Jesus gotta, Christ. Yeah. Yeah. Very down on this. On this very down on everyone. Um, so Hodgins says that he has talked to the doctor who did the operation very quickly, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, it turns out that the slim ring was not registered to Meg Tracy, but it was registered to her roommate, <gasps> Stephanie. Wow. In a, in a better show, this would have come across as like a, a, a cliffhanger moment as opposed to just more boring detail. This is the next clue. <laughs> welcome, so, to the, welcome to the next clue. And then I paused it and I was like, uh, there's going to be one more clue and then they're going to find out who did it. That's right. And shuffling the B-pod along, uh, Booth gets a call. There's been a fire at his place. Pops is burning his shit down while he yep. tries to cook dinner. Yep. Uh, they should've, go back to the fire arrested for be, Should have let the police arrest him for the crime of being old. That's right. Take him to that death panel. Come on. Yeah. Um, but he's sad because he set the place on fire and he used to be good at cooking dinner, but now he's old. So, we are now back at the FBI and this is kind of starting to feel to me <clears throat> like a long wind up to justifying putting your granddad in a nursing home. Oh yeah, right? very much so. Because that's, that's, the, that's the American experience. Again, you, you um, can also really feel that like Hart Hansen like had to put his granddad in a nursing home and was like, I'm going <laughs> to write a version of my granddad who wants to go back to the nursing home. This next part made me laugh very loudly when Booth says about this, I guess he needs more than I can give right now. Talking about his granddad like he's a puppy that he <laughs> you know, bought too rashly. <laughs> Um, he says, maybe I should take a leave of absence. And Bones goes, can you afford to do that? You have a son to take care of too. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. You we know, have a- seen your son one time. Yeah. We have we, your granddad and your like old psychiatrist have had more screen time and being significant to the development of your character than your son, who so son far has, has been just in, like, come in to like scenes. be sexually harassed by Angela. <laughs> yeah. We've li- like we've literally seen his son like two or three times in one episode. Mm-hmm. Other than that, I don't think he has any contact with him. But that's very funny to me. Um, I did start to wonder if maybe the resolution to this will be like uh, Bones paying for a nice nursing home with her author money. Nope. Because that has been the resolution to multiple oh, also, episodes so I f- far. I found this out. Apparently, Hodgins is also a billionaire. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. <laughs> so Booth heads off to interrogate the roommate. Um, and they're like, how come you let her get this gastric banding thing on your insurance? And she was like, I didn't. Um, I let her use my insurance card, but not for that. She didn't have insurance, so I helped her out. Um, now, I noticed at this point, this woman has, has had insurance fraud committed <laughs> against her for like $10,000. Um and when she says, oh, I helped my friend sometimes when she was sick because she didn't have insurance. And Booth's like, you've committed a crime. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you, lady. <clears throat> yes, somebody committed fraud against you. But also, we cannot have people getting free health insurance in this country. Uh, no, would that, would be, that would make us Russian. And he also lets her know that her alibi has not held up. Now, 
we are getting towards needing to rush a conclusion to this show. <laughs> yeah, because they have they are literally no closer to finding the killer. Uh, there are four minutes left, and they have nothing. Now, we have commented on this in previous episodes where the most egregious example was the one where they got all the way until literally the last 60 seconds of the show, and then they said, a random street mugger did it. <laughs> <laughs> that was the funniest. But they have, there have also been moments where you can feel, you can feel through the screen, the writers remembering that they have to finish this show in under like 44 minutes, but also that they do not write second drafts. No. Um, this to me, this is the fastest wrap up of the A plot that there has been in one of these shows, right? Yes. They've, they've found two tiny bones that look like they were fractured and they have this tiny little bit of residue on the edge and they decide that that is from wood. Um, so, so at this point, we are like, we are racing through scenes of all of the lab crews standing in different spots around the lab as they go over each of these things. Um, they decide the resin was from wood and that the wounds were defensive. So as soon as they say defensive wound from wood, I'm like, it was the carpenter. <laughs> carpenter owner of the house. I'm yelling. Th- at my thank screen. you, intern law. Yep. And then they look at the big, uh, the big moldy sandwich bed and they say, hey, uh, this is the second time we've ever looked at the bed. <laughs> we need another clue now. There are some big knobs up the top of this decorative bed that are missing. I wonder mm-hmm. where they are. They're then looking at the real estate listing of the house, yep. which again, mind you, we would up till this point. We would have looked at this earlier, but we'd found the all more obvious clues, and we had to stop looking in in the interim. We already had a clue. It's in our it's in our union contract. Yes. Um, so they look at the real estate listing, they look through the photos and they find that the decorative bits on the head, uh, sorry, the decorative bits on the bed are, are missing, are two heads up on the corner, big carved photorealistic heads. And you know what heads have? Noses. It was a nose. The mystery is solved. <laughs> the heads had been carved to look like the owner and his wife. Yeah, that's a that's a. I mean, look, if if you've done that to your bed, you're guilty of more murders than just this one. <sighs> so beautiful. Uh, and then Angela is like, "Wait a minute!" And she makes a 3D model head from the photo, and then she has the 3D model of the hand with the nose print, and she puts them both together and inserts the 3D model head's nose into the defensive wound and says, "One button." Aha! And she does this with uh, one button. Murder weapon. A single button. I laughed so loud <laughs> at the visual of this of the 3D rendering of a wooden head's nose being they zoom right in on it as the nose like slots into the nose print in the hand. <laughs> dun dun dun. It's so funny. <laughs> and then they just declare, ah, so this guy made this nice bed of him and his wife. Uh, and he found these fat fucks having sex in it because it was like cheaper than a hotel room or whatever. Again, why do they have unfettered, unlimited access to the house? Nobody is explaining this to me. Yeah, it's like it's like a, it's like do you have a free trial of the house? And also, and, they describe um, the sex as weird cake sex. Yep, and they say he just found them having sex in the in the bed that he made for him and his wife. 
So he murdered them with this part of the bed and then set fire to it and left with the heads. Yep, so he murdered them with the heads. Yep. Anyway, they, present, they present this to the homeowner and he says, Ah, yep. <laughs> you got me. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh. Oh, oh, raspberries. <laughs> oh, that's the way. That's the way we do it on Bones. Do I want a lawyer? No. You, sol- we, well, you solved my puzzle. We have, established, we have established the in-universe secret to all perps in Bones, which is that they must be asked one single time if they committed the murder. <laughs> yeah, and if they did, they will say, yes, I've been caught for the crime of committing a murder. You have to, you have to, ask, you have to ask them and then present any evidence, basically. And, and so long as you ask them with any evidence, they'll be like, yes, I did it. Like, I did it, and here are the reasons. <laughs> oh, if you want some more evidence, well, yeah, here's what I've been holding back. It was like, it's like a key to a lock, you know? You find the one piece of evidence that's outside the locked cupboard, and then you use it to open the cupboard of the rest of the evidence. And it all sorts, it's, it all comes tumbling out like so much Tupperware, you know? <laughs> oh, motive, opportunity, it's all here. It's all here in this one big cupboard. So, um... They, uh, I, I just could not stop laughing at the pace which, with which they breezed through the final several scenes of them solving the crime and finding, um, finding the deadly nose. <laughs> and it was very funny to me. And um, that means they've left themselves a good two minutes or so to wrap up the B-plot. Now, as I was saying earlier, I was looking Wait, at What this was the resolution thinking, of the C-plot? <laughs> Just Clark. It's Clark opening up to Cam about be willing to be unprofessional at work. Well, because so so what happens originally is he's like, I think it's nice that Booth is nice to his granddad, and everyone looks at him like he just said, um, "I want to go to Comet Ping Pong Pizza and get the special." And everybody looks at him like he's he's just declared that he's committed a bunch of murders, you know. And, and he's like, what? That's, that's an okay thing to say, that you respect your grandfather and like to hang out with him. Mm-hmm. Um, he then reveals to her later on, hey, he, well, he says, he's, he's like, maybe I should just uh, get better at keeping it all to myself. And Cam is like, yes. <laughs> yes, you should. <laughs> yes. And that's all for that C plot. But the B plot which is what to do about Pops. Because as the episode has gone on, what we have been teasing out here is Booth thinks that his granddad is totally fine and invincible and he doesn't want to talk about his feelings because that's gay or whatever. And meanwhile, thing after thing has been happening where his granddad has been getting lost. His granddad has been setting fire to things accidentally, refusing to take the medication that stops him from having strokes, all this kind of shit. Mm. And it's all very clearly been leading up to Booth having to accept the reality that he is working full time. He cannot be a full time caretaker for a loved one who needs actual attention from somebody. And he's going to have to have a hard talk with his granddad and sit him down and say, I know this sucks. I love having you here, but I cannot take care of you like you need to be taken care of. 
and I have to put you back in the home. But that's not how we do things on 2009 era network television because his granddad cuts him off before he can get there and says, hey, I just want to tell you, I'm going back to the home because I love it. Yeah, I love it. I'm getting getting top there. Uh, I'm getting mad top. I'm getting mad top at the at the nursing home. It's cool. I'm getting top. I'm going fishing. I'm hanging out with the boys. I like to roughhouse with the orderlies. It's where I'm supposed to be and you got to take care of yourself. So don't even worry about it. It's like it wasn't even a problem to begin yeah. with. Are you listening, Hart Hansen's aging father? And it just 1000% resolves itself, but not before Pop says to uh, to Bones, hey, hey. Don't be afraid to fall in love with my grandson and marry him forever. Uh, mm-hmm. And then he's like, all right, you go over there. Uh, Booth, come back here. Booth, don't be afraid to fall in love with that lady and be in love with her forever. And they both go, no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, cool. <laughs> like awesome. every, every fucking character in Bones, um, especially every character who is just there for that episode is like, I can clearly see that you two are in love. And they go, us? No way. No way. No, thank you. <laughs> Me? No way. Uh-uh. We're just uh, friends slash investigation buddies. God My damn. goodness. Friends with benefits. The benefits is solving cold cases. Terrible. Uh, so, I, I, really, I really like the way that, as you said... They just smoothed all the edges off that one. They said, uh, they set the entire thing up as like, wow, this is going to be really hard for Booth when he has to admit to him first himself and then to his grandfather, who he's really close with, mm-hmm. that he's not up to this and that his granddad isn't up to looking after himself. Yeah. And maybe and- there could have been a moment for like observing on, you know, this is a thing that real people go through, accepting that uh, they're getting to an age where they can't look after themselves anymore and they need to start accepting help from people. Yeah. Uh, and that can be really hard or it can be really easy if you just kind of write it out. Yeah. You Maybe know? there could have been any conflict at all. No. As opposed to just Booth Dad being like, well, I clear, I've realized myself that I am a burden. Uh, I have done nothing but show <laughs> virtue. <laughs> I've done nothing but show virtue and unconditional love in my taking care of my grandson for my entire life. Uh, everything about me is in relation to him. I'm going to go go to sleep until Hart Hansen needs to inject some pathos into Booth's character again and wants a horny old character to generate some cheap laughs. Oh, that's it. That's it. I can see that I've become a burden to you and now I will vanish from the visibility of our society. (laughs) Off onto the next adventure of getting top in a nursing home. That's right. Live in the dream, you know? Yeah. Live in the dream. Yeah. Uh, And so we will continue living the dream and making this show in which we recap season five of Bones and no other. And no other. Ever. Thank you I for mean, listening along. However, I'd like to say we will never do another season of Bones. However, no. I really enjoy uh, I really enjoy talking about the late seasons of procedural network dramas generally when they get a little too old. So perhaps another network procedural uh, in its just getting a little too old season comes next. Who knows? 
You never know. Well, that's it for us. Thank you, everybody. And uh, we'll see you next time. Yeah. Thank you for listening, everybody. And we'll... Okay. Stay bony. And uh, fingers crossed, you get to get a whole bunch of brain in a nursing home when you're old. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye, everyone. (laughs) Thank you.